Welcome to Middle Grade Mavens, where two author mums discuss their favourite middle grade books, provide recommendations and share insider industry tips for authors trying their hand at middle grade. Julianne Grasso is the author of the Frankie DuPont mystery series, cupcake enthusiast and part-time children's literacy wrangler. Pamela Eucherman is a writer, web designer and creative dance teacher who sometimes finds time for sleep. Both Julie and Pamela devour middle grade books, not only for research, but to share with their combined brood of four munchkins. Hi, Pamela, and welcome back to Middle Grade Mavens. Hello there. For our 24th episode. Yes, yes. And uh, it's a bit of a rainy, cold, wintry Melbourne day today, isn't it? Yes, it's miserable, but we've been out and about, which the Mavens occasionally do. What's Pamela been up to? Yeah, we sometimes get out. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, yesterday I went to a workshop at the Little Book Room, which is in North Carlton. A lot of people would know the Little Book Room, um, run by Lisa Lambert and her parents, and they they just do a great job of launches and um, book clubs. And they had a workshop yesterday uh, with Nova Wheatman and Chris Kennett for their new junior f- fiction series, um, Noah and Blue's Zooniverse. And my Noah, my son, who's six, is absolutely smitten with these books and just the idea of these mashimals, these these combinations of animals that are in these books. Um, so we went along to that and it was great fun. And, um, yeah, Nova and Chris were just fantastic with the kids and it was an hour long and yeah, it was just a really nice way to spend a Sunday afternoon and he's, uh, my son's come away with all these ideas and he's promised them he's going to send them eight new book ideas that he, they're going to have to take to the publisher to propose for, you know, publishing <laughs> the next, next few books in the series. So it's really, yeah, it's really inspired him. So it was really nice, really nice afternoon. Oh, I just love that he knows what the submissions process <laughs> is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's oh. you know he's pretty he's pretty savvy with you know where it's got to go who you know it's got yeah. to go to the publisher and yeah um and it was actually great because you know one thing that I realised out of this my kids are so much more visually literate than I am or ever was it, there was um a part they were talking about they were talking about the illustrations and. Noah has read all four of the books and said, you know, you know, at the end of the books, how there's a little clue as to what the animal can do. Like it's um, yeah. one of them leaves a spider web and another book they leave, I don't know, I don't, a bite or something. And um, I hadn't, I've only read two of the books and I hadn't, and you know, Noah was really surprised that he'd picked up on that. He said, you know, nobody would, not, no one she's known has picked it, picked up on that, but it was a, wow. you know, it's a device that they've, they purposely use it as a subtle sort of um, illustration device that they've used in there. And I just kind of went, wow, you know, I never pick up on things like that. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, you know, I think um, I think the way that illustrations have come and the way that picture books have come these days, they're just so visually rich and they tell such a story, not just in the words but in the illustrations. It's fantastic. It just adds a whole other le- level of understanding and literacy so um yeah yes. that's a, kind of an eye-opener for me so <laughs> yes what did you get up to yesterday Julie or this weekend well um I was celebrating with my sister who's turned 50 oh, yes, and 
Yes, and we went out to Come From Away, which is a musical um, in the comedy theatre. And it's only just, it's only opened last night, I think. So Mm -hmm. the whole story is that obviously when um, September 11 happened, there were many planes sort of ready to land in um, the US and they couldn't. So they were diverted all over the place. Um, And this particular story focuses around Newfoundland, which is in um, Canada. Yeah. And they only have like a population of 10,000 and within about, um, you know, a few hours they doubled their population. Wow. And um, it was a time of, you know, massive turmoil and, um, you know, suspected terror and all these people displaced and that someone has written a musical about it, wow. which was funny <laughs> and poignant and um, like lots of details. And at the very beginning, the um, producer, director stood up and said, now just letting you know that um, quite a few folks um, are in the audience tonight that the story has um, been written around. Oh, wow. And so they got them all up at the end and it, it, it was just one of those, oh, my goodness, oh. beautiful moments where, yeah. like, the, the actors and actresses were meeting their, their character counterpart. It was just, oh. like, yeah. And so well done. Like, we love going to the theatre. So it was, you know. It was a no-brainer that we would go to this. But, yeah, I highly recommend get, get out to see Come From Away if you can. Right. Oh, I've had um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is um, coming out yeah. soon. I've had that in my sights. Um, there's a Melbourne author whose son is in it, was one of the Charlies. I've been following oh. his journey on Inst- on uh, Facebook. And um, it just looks like it's, you know, been done so well. So that's one that I'm looking forward to as well. I might try and get to see that. But um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of you know Melbourne winter. It's a great great time to go yes. out. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, let's get yeah. to it. Tell us, Pamela, what is the title of today's book? Yeah, today I'm reviewing the Time Travel Diaries by Caroline Lawrence, published by Piccadilly Press in 2019 this year, and distributed in Australia by Alan and Unwin. Oh, this sounds intriguing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Would you share the jacket blurb with us? Sure. London, where past meets present. Alex's mission is to go back to Londinium through a portal in London's Mithraeum and find out all he can about the blue-eyed girl. There are just three rules. One, naked you go and naked you must return. Two, drink, don't eat. Three, as little interaction as possible. But time travel is no picnic and Roman London is far more dangerous than anyone could have known. Oh, it's so funny that they they follow those three rules. Like I think that's a little bit Terminator, isn't it? Doesn't the Terminator come through naked? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's kind of funny, but um, they the rules actually come. You know, obviously at some point the rules are going to have to be broken during yes. you know the book, and it yeah it makes it quite interesting. I can um, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, what genre would you class this as? Um, it's a bit sci-fi with the time travel element, but also most of it is spent in Roman London, so, you know, that's the historical fiction side. I know we've done a couple of time travel historical fiction books, but this was like a pre-teen version of um, the Magic Treehouse books by Mary Pope Osborne. Have you read those books before? I haven't. 
but oh. I was not a reader as a child, remember? Oh, no, I never so... read as a child. They're an American series and there's more than 50 of them. And I started picking them up from op shops um, a few years ago and right. we've gathered up. We've probably got about 20 of them, almost all secondhand. But um, there are these, you know, there's this brother and sister pair who go back in time because the magic tree house and they um, go back to various different sort of important periods in history and fix things. Um, and this is a junior fiction Um so it kind of reminded, it's not really like this, but it kind of reminded me of that because we, we love those books as um, Magic Treehouse books. So it kind of did remind me of that. But, um, yeah, the, the historical sci-fi, you know, fixing something in history. Yeah. It does sound right up my alley regardless. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I may have to get a hold of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what is the estimated word count of this one? Uh, I think it's about 50,000 words, which I know is a little bit above your sweet spot, but it is for older kids and, you know, it's a bit of a historical fiction novel, but it, it was a quick read. It wasn't a heavy read. Uh, if it's fast-paced, then you don't notice the word count. Yeah. No, in other words. Very fast-paced. <laughs> so what drew you to this book? Um, well, this one, I have to say, a combination of the cover and the title, <laughs> The Time Travel yeah. Diaries, it just appealed to me. Um Caroline Lawrence is a British best-selling author of a series called The Roman Mysteries, which I haven't read, but they sound intriguing because um, I'm, I'm really interested in Roman England. So I'm happy to have found this author. Um, I don't know how much she's been published in Australia so far, but, you know, given that she is best-selling, I'm sure her books, um, her previous books are around and, and will be around for a while anyway. Yeah. Well, tell us about it. Yeah, so Alex is a typical London schoolboy with a Greek background who lives with his gran. He speaks Greek and is learning Latin at school, which is one of the reasons his principal singles him out for a job offer from a rich and slightly crazy entrepreneur. The task? Go through the time portal, back to Roman London, find the girl with the blue eyes and ivory knife and find out more about her. The reward? A million pounds if he makes it back and another four million if he finds the girl. Alex agrees, and while he fasts for the journey, because you mustn't eat for, I think it was four days before you go through the portal, he brushes up on his Latin, his recall of London streets, and his knowledge of Roman customs. The portal is lit located in the Temple of Mithras, which is located under present-day London, and when he goes through, he arrives in the same temple, but in Roman London. However, things don't go as planned. Someone else comes through the portal. So now Alex needs to keep both both of them alive while waiting for the next chance to go back through the portal, hope he hasn't altered anything in the future and perhaps even find the blonde girl with the ivory knife and get that £5 million. Oh, that sounds very much outlanderish, doesn't it? <laughs> I know you haven't haven't seen them, but, yeah. Oh, no, no, but, yeah, it's, well, you know, it, it's, it's quite, there's quite a few layers in this actually. Yes. <laughs> so overall enjoyment uh, you know I wasn't sure what I was expecting by this book actually because you know it sounds quite intriguing and it's time travel and it's history but it you know it surprised me actually it was told from Alex's point of view and he's a 12 year old boy and it's told in first person and that, this kind of jarred me at first because well I'm not a 12 year old boy and not only that but the voice was really it was a warts and all window into a tween boy's experience of a time that was 
much less hygienic and less modest than our own. <laughs> so, right. you know, the whole, the rules come into it there with the whole, you know, don't eat. Well, I think, I don't think the not eating. Oh, no, that was it. Drink, don't eat, naked, you go. Yes. Yeah, yep. It kind of fed into some pretty funny scenes. Um, and uh, I've lost my place now. Oh, yeah, there was a, a hearty dose of humour which helped lighten the tone. And, you know, I was just swept along for the ride after the first few pages. It's a really fast-paced adventure through the streets of Roman London, gloriously and sometimes grotesquely rich in detail <laughs> and obviously well-researched. And the smattering of Latin, Greek and mythology are a great learning opportunity set in a thrilling story. And by the end, I couldn't put it down. I just needed to see what happened. So, yeah, yeah, I really think that you would you would like this, Julie. Yes. So who else would love this book? What age would you recommend it for? Yeah, I, I realised early on that this book was intended for reluctant reading older boys, not just the voice and the pacing, but also the attention to disgusting detail um, and the short chapters and the awkward tween jokes. Um, I don't know how many such books there are out there, but I've, you know, I've heard around in the grapevine that, you know, boys in particular tend to drop off in their reading ranks when they hit their tweens and teens. So it's great to find something fun and exciting and not too long to fill that that need, to fill that area. Um, mm-hmm. And, in fact, I had to remind myself that this was written by a female author because she paid such close attention to how tween boys talk and act and the kinds of things that they were like. It just, you know, just felt natural. Um, and... Yeah, so in terms of age, because there are some cultural and pop references and, yeah, those grotesque details that younger children wouldn't understand, and then it's also a girl crush, I think it's probably suitable for about 10 and up. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like a really strategic book, doesn't it? Like, yeah. I, I love that thought. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah um, I, you know, I, I don't think that your 12-year-old boy reading it would sort of think of it that way but yeah you know because at first I was kind of like oh okay mm, that's weird you know but as I'm going I'm going actually I can see where the market is yeah yeah I can see the market and I can see in a few years time where this would be and you know it's not some you know I know that there are some books out there that the teen and tween boys you know sort of it's they're a must read you know you're around Percy Jackson and that kind of thing but I think um once those those have been read, I think a lot of boys find it hard to find anything else. Um, where to go next, yeah. Where to go next, yeah. I think this is a really good one. And, you know, Percy Jackson and those kinds of books, they're quite long, they're quite thick, and this is a much quicker read. And I think I'm pretty sure there is gonna there are going to be more books. So, yep. yeah. So great, great. I, guess, I guess we're saying reluctant readers would enjoy this, but would more confident readers, you know, get yeah. along board? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I said, it's got it's got Latin and Greek and it's, you know, it's mythology. So, you know, it's not it's not heavy and it's not sort of um, didactic in any sort of way. It's it's done re- really fun, but, you know, you can learn a bit from it too. So, yeah, I think it's, it's great across the board. Fantastic. There you go. There's mine done for today. Now, I'm actually quite looking forward to this one. You've mentioned to me that this was... This mm-hmm. book that you're reviewing next was um is, was quite had quite an impact. So yes, yeah. Can you tell everyone the title that it's on? So today I'm reviewing Vincent and the Grandest Hotel on Earth by Lisa Nichol, published by Penguin Random House on July first, two thousand and nineteen. So a very recent book. Yes. Um. Can you read the blurb for us? Yeah. Perched high on the snowy slopes 
of the Mombombo Ranges lies the grandest hotel on earth. It's wider than the African savannah, more fantastical than Disneyland, and more magical than Shangri-La. So when ordinary 11-year-old Vincent meets the hotel's young Florence, he sets off on a path leading into his most wondrous dreams. But of course, dreams have a funny way of taking strange and surprising turns. And before long, Vincent is torn between right and wrong, friendship and family, and the most enticing of desires to see into the future. Ooh, this does sound good. <laughs> yes. What What's the genre of this one? Oh, uh, look, I'm going to call it magical realism because, oh. you know, I don't seem to have any other <laughs> genre category <laughs> available to me. <laughs> we'll just assume from now on magical realism, unless Julie says uh, yeah. otherwise, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I think that, you know, it's one of my favourite genres really too. So. Me too. Yeah. Um, and was it a, a good size? Yeah, I, I actually think it would be under 40,000, but I'll say 40,000 because I'm useless at actually um, estimating. So. <laughs> so it's around average. Yes. Um, and so how did you come across this book? So I, um, we both, Pamela and I, follow this wonder, wonderful author called Deborah Tibble. Now, we first met Deborah online through Just Right for Kids Facebook page, which we've talked about before, and then in person at Kidlit Vic a few years ago. And for anyone who doesn't know Deborah, she recently published a book called, a picture book called The Scared Book, and it's won a big award, plus it's just an incredible read aloud. So anyway, Deborah posted that her friend Lisa had a new book coming out. Now, I may not have mentioned before, but I have a thing for hotels. My Frankie book series is set in a quirky manner. I have another yet unpublished manuscript set in a creepy English mansion. My favourite movie is The Grand Budapest Hotel, and I will literally read anything set in a quirky, funny, spooky hotel. So when I saw this, I actually pre-ordered it. And in true Maven style, I then contacted the publicist from Penguin because um, I thought I'd love to interview Lisa. And unbeknownst to me, they also sent me a copy of the book. So, yes, once again, for the second time this month, I find myself with two copies of a book, which means da, 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 we'll have another giveaway along with this week's episode. So, hurrah! Yay! Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> Once again, my blunders pay off. <laughs> so, and hi to Deborah if you're listening too. Yes, hi Deborah. yes, she's awesome. <laughs> yes, yeah, she is. So, I guess that's a very long version why I have this lovely book in my possession, which just goes to show that networking in the Aussie Kidlet world really does bring you closer to some wonderful book people and some wonderful books. Oh, we're just rolling in amazing books right now, aren't we? We are literally rolling in them, yes. <laughs> I, think, I think I'm keeping my postie in business. <laughs> yes, yes. It's just every day, another book, another book. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, okay, so can you tell us about this book? I'm intrigued. Yeah, so Vincent has a moment in his life where everything changes. He finds himself as the shoeshine boy at the grandest hotel on earth. But before one can officially become an employee, one must first be a guest. A hotel called the Grandest Hotel on Earth, run by an 11-year-old girl called Florence, could hardly be a disappointment, and it wasn't. Every room is incredible, 
and can fulfill your deepest desires. I have to say my favorite, however, was the La Chambre de Pommes Frites. I cannot speak French, so (laughs) that's my version, which is basically a double room where every time you close and open the door between the two rooms, you're presented with a bowl of chips. (laughs) The room of chips. (laughs) That that is quite possibly my dream rune. (laughs) I cannot tell you how much that fulfills my basic human needs. But I digress. Not every room seems to bring joy. And when Vincent accidentally stumbles upon the mirrors to the future room, he sees something he shouldn't. The confounding thing is, it's not the thing he wanted to see. Let me explain. You see, home for Vincent has pain in spades. His parents don't know what to do with his younger brother, Tom, who has raging tantrums and doesn't speak. For Vincent, the lure of the mirrors to the future room is strong, but not in the way you think. Even though he doesn't see the future for Tom like he wants to, he seems to see the other hotel employees' futures, and he can't help but intervene. It's all going swimmingly, and Vincent has become a bit of an unsung hero of sorts, until he sees something catastrophic, something he'll do anything in this world to prevent, something that will threaten the very existence of the Grand. Wow, sounds fantastic. Yes. It, it seems to have a bit of a feel of um, Malamanda. Is that a fair statement? Oh, yes, yes. I would I would give it that, yeah. Hmm, okay. Which oh, Maven Pamela. Hmm. Yeah. Great book. Um, so, Julie, over, overall enjoyment? Uh, this brook. Brooke, <laughs> this book broke me into and stitched me back together in the nicest possible way. So I guess the, dis- the, the despair that Vincent felt over the unknown condition of his brother Tom was palpable. And I think it's probably safe to say that Tom is on the autism spectrum. Okay. So hearing Vincent's thoughts on his siblings' um, difficulties is what really broke me. Mm. Um that aside, the story doesn't revolve around Vincent's brother as such. It's actually so much more. It is, in essence, Vincent's coming-of-age journey as he learns through pain and suffering that seeing the future cannot solve the problems of the present and he has to find a way to keep on living regardless. This was a truly remarkable book, one that I left scratching my head as to whether I would ever be able to write something even remotely close to its shimmer. Now, I think Lisa Nichol is an extraordinary writer, weaving a heartfelt narrative mixed with the most incredible hotel you could ever imagine. It is quite possible going to be my favourite read for 2019. Oh, wow, big call. Big, big call. Yeah, fantastic. I think that's going to have to go on my very, very high pile. You might have to enter the competition. I was going to say, the giveaway wanted to be me. <laughs> Although I don't know when I have a chance to read it because my pile is very high. <laughs> yes, well, I may slip my other copy into the post for you. So, oh, okay. yes. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, I think we were talking recently about how we're going to have to do a favourite, you know, top five favourite yes. books of the year a bit later on in the year. So, yeah, it's going to be a tough call. It is, it is. Um, so did you read this one to Gigi? Is this is this suitable for that age or 
it is yeah it is totally I'd say it's probably appropriate for 8 to 12 I didn't read this one with her I I think she just sort of missed my reading boat it sort of sailed and I was halfway through before she um you know had a chance to look at what I was reading Mm. um but I've I've stuck it under her pillow and said this one's special babe you better have a look at this one which you know sometimes kids just go meh but yeah, she she put it under her pillow and said, "Oh, okay, mummy, I will." <laughs> so, yeah. Lovely. Oh, good. And and it's is it a good one for reluctant readers or confident readers? Oh, look, as a read aloud, I think this would be great for reluctant readers. It's just it's really quirky and fast paced. Um, but as a read alone, I think confident readers would be better suited to this one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now. Oh, great. Good. Great review. Da, da, da. Let's get down, get down to the book giveaway business. <laughs> so anyone who has followed our Facebook, Insta or Twitter page, we have currently got a copy of Alison Rushby's The Seven Keys, courtesy of Walker Books Australia. So without further ado, combining all the entries from our Twitter, Insta and Facebook pages, the winner is, drumroll please. <laughs> Shani Montgomery from Facebook. Yay! Yay! Congratulations, Shani. We will be tagging you very soon on the post, so drop us a line at mavens at middlegradepodcast.com. Congratulations, Shani. Mm, The fun doesn't end there, though. So if you follow us on those accounts, you'll see that we have another giveaway going right now, courtesy of Penguin Books Australia. We have a copy of Vincent and the Grandest Hotel on Earth, so drop by our Insta, Twitter or Facebook post. Give us a like and you can go in the draw to win. And for a second entry, tag someone you think would love this book. And don't forget to subscribe to Middle Grade Mavens on your favourite podcast platform so you can hear our new episodes as they release. Now, we will draw the winner of this wonderful book prize on our next episode, episode 25, going live August 8. So good luck, folks, and thank you for joining us at Middle Grade Mavens. Mm, We'll see you next time. Here we are at Middle Grade Mavens and a little recap for our listeners. We've recently reviewed Vincent and the Grandest Hotel on Earth by Lisa Nichol. Now, I personally find it fascinating to hear the story of how a book came to be. We thought it would be awesome to invite Lisa into the middle grade maven's hot seat for some authorly banter. And guess what? She agreed. So hi, Lisa, and thanks for joining us at Middle Grade Mavens. Thank you, Julie. Thank you for having me. Well, let's dive right in. Tell us, Lisa, where did you get your start in writing? <clears throat> well, my background is um, film and television documentary making, so which involves some kind of writing. Um, uh, but then I started writing um, articles for the newspaper, I guess, just because I was interested in writing. I started scribbling ideas for stories and that kind of thing. But my start... Um, I guess I got into children's books when I had children myself and I was in a delusional state of no sleep and got yes (laughs) ideas of stories and while they were sleeping I would rush upstairs to my um, attic and try and write them so that's how my career in um, children's books began but before that I wrote 
I wrote, you know, some newspaper articles about just anything that interests me and made me feel like writing. Um, yes. And, um, yeah, film and television work, documentary. Now, would you share with us the, ti- um, the title of your first children's book? I think it was The Dr. Boogaloo. Um, that was actually my second. I had a um, picture book out before that called um, The Ballad of Dexie Lee. Which oh, yes. had a girl with um, very large hands. And um, it was illustrated by the beautiful artist Lucy Cullerton. Um, and so that was my first book, yeah, The Ballad of Dexie Lee. And the second book I did, which was my first middle grade, um, was Dr. Boogaloo and the Girl Who Lost Her Laughter. Yes, and I've heard that's just wonderful. So we've put that on our to-be-read pile as well. <laughs> That's good. It's out in paperback. They've released it in paperback along with um, Vincent. So, um, oh, fantastic. I would recommend the hardback too. <laughs> yes, of course. Now, I have read the back of um, the book, which gave me an insight into where you got the inspiration for Vincent and the Grandest Hotel on Earth. But yes. would you share your special moment that started it all? Oh, okay. Well, the first, I mean, I went, when I looked back and tried to find out, I, I just scribbled down the word grand and um, then, you know, the grandest girl who lives in the grandest hotel. At the time, I think it was a boy, so they've switched. But um, so it was just the word grand appealed to me. And I, re- yep. I remember recently that I used to have a boyfriend who used to say, that'd be grand. Let's do that. Like, <laughs> I, I used to love it because it sounded so otherworldly and old-fashioned. And, yes. Um, so, yeah, so it just started with um, the word grand and the idea of a, the grandest hotel and um, it didn't take too long before this a story idea came to me about this boy who was not grand at all who came to the hotel um, to shine shoes and his friendship with um, what became Florence who ran the hotel who was also a young girl. Um, and... That's where the original idea for the story came from. And I thought I just wanted to create this really grand hotel that would blow kids' minds and appeal to my very reluctant reader children that I have a house full of. Yes. I really wanted to make the most out-of-the-world, fantastical place um, filled with things that would really um, appeal to kids. And um, are you wanting me to go into the whole story where it went from there? (laughs) Only if you feel comfortable, but if not, we, I'm sure they'll so, read the back. <laughs> so when, um, so I was just collecting ideas really for, for things that would go in the hotel um, and then my um, godson got diagnosed with a, with a um, brain tumour and it was, he was also my son's best friend so and had been, you know, a member of our household since he was born basically because... Um, Finley's mother and I have three children that line up in age, so our children, our two houses are very, very connected on every level. And um, Finley got very, very sick, so very quickly, and he was confined to bed. So while he was confined to bed, I told him about the grandest hotel on earth and my ideas for the rooms and and, um, what the hotel should be like and asked Finley if he could help me design the grandest hotel on earth. And that's when when the place really took off. Was beautiful. Um, ideas for rooms, which were spectacular. And I have to say, the rooms are utterly spectacular. So, <laughs> 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 oh, now, uh, how long did it take you to actually write it? 
And what kind of research do Actually, you do for a story? Well, I wish there was research I could do. I wish there was the Grandest Hotel on Earth that I could just go and stay at for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, the fantastical doesn't involve a whole lot of research. Oh, you do research little bits and pieces. But the book, I, I actually wrote it really fast, faster than I've ever written anything. So I think I, I smashed out a first draft in like six weeks. I don't oh, know. Wow. Really good though. Um, by following some very nerdy advice that I read because uh, I was really struggling to begin with and writing, you know, 100, 300 words a day or something pathetic and thought, oh, my God, I've really got to get my word count up. So yeah. I put in word count into Google, in, improving your word count or and looking at how many words per day, you know, fantastic authors wrote and was horribly shamed by how pathetic my, <laughs> my <laughs> was. And... I found this nerdy site from this sci-fi writer and um, she gave tips on how she, you know, doubled her word count. So I thought, oh, I'm going to give that a go. And I followed her instructions and, hey, presto, the next thing I knew I was writing 3,000 words a day. So, Wow. Um, yeah, it was amazing. So Holly actually mentioned it, my publisher, Holly Tui, mentioned it at the launch that it, from the moment I, I mentioned the book to her to when I actually submitted it, it was three months. So wow. I got a first for six weeks and then I thought it was in good enough shape to submit it to a publisher at three months. Of course it wasn't really and I look back and go, oh, my God, I can't believe I submitted that because it really was um, in need of still a lot of work. But Holly's yeah. very individual and she was like she just – gave me some great feedback and then I went away and wrote some more and fell into a hole and thought I'll never be able to get this to work and then um yes and yeah then so was, so could you estimate how long it then took in editing because I, I know that so hmm. many folks love or hate the process where where do you sit on the on the editing <laughs> steps I love, I love editing I mean the first draft is really the hardest part of writing because you're literally you're trying to make the clay from which you can then work. So you've got to create something out of nothing. Once yes. you've got a lot of clay, then you can um, just keep working with it until it looks good. Yeah, that's <laughs> so right. I really enjoy editing a lot. This editing process was faster than Dr. Boogaloo and because they decided they wanted to bring it out like in eight months. So it was a shorter um, editing time. Um and was this one actually contracted or was it sort of like, oh, have a look at this and see if you think you like it? No, I, I, it was it, uh, it was not contracted. Um, I told Holly the idea um, and the title and she's like, oh, I love the sound of that. Um, so she was keen from the word go. But I don't think I got offered a contract until I had given – um, taken Holly's feedback on board and yes. then resubmitted and that's when they offered me the contract. Which is just so incredibly interesting <laughs> in the <laughs> in the publishing world because, we, yes. you know, so you come to the publishing table with, you know, from so many different avenues. So, yeah. mm. so I think you've already said it um, mm. that, you know, you upped your word count but mm. how do you actually manage the pressures of life and still get that word count happening? What are yeah. your what are your two two tips? <laughs> well, I guess I like to say is I don't manage all the time. I mean, um, I was reading about uh, the author of Wonder the other day, and they're like, "How did you write Wonder?" And she's like, "I I 
you know, I work full time and I've got two kids and I got up at midnight and wrote till three. And I thought, oh, oh. wow. <laughs> it wasn't the right time for me to read that kind of thing. I thought, oh, I'm so slack. I don't get yeah. up at <laughs> three. Um, you know, sometimes I manage do- writing Dr. B. I would get up at 5 a.m. to write, um, to squeeze it in around other paid work. But um, so life changes and um, my father did pass away and I did receive some money which gave me the opportunity to dedicate some time to writing and that's really how I managed to do that. Oh, wonderful. Particular time. And I think it's important to say that too because I think we all feel under this pressure to to yes. be productive and like to be so um, have everything together where you're working full time and doing kids and writing books and you know I am not that person I yeah. <laughs> I, I work very hard I think you know but I have periods where I where I procrastinate and um and not be as focused as I like I'm just you know one of those messy human things I'm not not one of those massively productive yeah. What a legacy your father has left for you then with that yes. that little gift. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So I wrote two books in that time actually. So that was I, I wanted that was my I sort of looked at it as a way of investing in myself. Yes. To you know, kick my career up uh, writing career up to a point where it would be more sustainable, you know. Yes, definitely. Other other work as much. Yeah, and it's so it's so not very talked about, but you know, um, children's writers and writers in general generally don't make a lot of money. So yeah. we do have to, you know, make life still happen and yeah. still, you know, produce these marvels. But um, when you have that little tiny bit of pressure taken off, it makes such a difference, doesn't it? Absolutely, you can just dedicate a block of time to writing. I mean, having yeah. less time to write. I mean, you know. Sometimes it's good to have pressures as well, and dead, I think deadlines are great. Um, but it is very difficult to. I've got three kids, and um, it is very difficult to work and write and look after three kids. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so in in this sort of same line, do you have an agent, and mm. how crucial do you feel this is for your career trajectory? Mm. I do have an agent, but I, 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 my agent's in New York. Jeez, I love saying that. Uh. <laughs> I thought um, it was my reasoning that I had a very good relationship with the publisher um, in Australia and I thought she, that they will look at what I write anyway and I, I hope to stay with them. And um, So I've got that good relationship. I thought, well, if, even if they, I produce a book that they don't want, I feel like I could... I'm in a place where I could get it in front of other publishers. Sure. Um, so I decided to get an American agent because I thought the most important thing to crack was actually trying to get my book sold overseas and yes, yep. predominantly into America um, because that's actually what makes us um, a sustainable career. <laughs> yes. <laughs> selling your books overseas, yeah, into more markets. So that was my focus. Yes, mm. yes. I think that's a really wise step. And I, I've um, had an, a US agent myself and I, um, it was such a wonderful actual sort of experience just to see how they do things. But also many writers, I think, in Australia do have um, Australian and US or UK agents. They don't necessarily just stick with 
one. one. So, yes. yeah, I think it's totally sort of the norm now, isn't it? Is it? That's interesting. Yes. I'm going to say it's the norm, <laughs> Lisa. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I, I didn't know that. Mm. Well, I do ask that question of um, every author I talk to and it is, it's vastly different what the answer is. So, mm. yeah. Oh, that's now, now, do you personally... They territories, do they? They carve up the territory? Yeah. So yeah. So <clears throat> I, I, I probably won't um, delve into which author told me this, but, yeah, I, mm. I know a couple of authors that definitely have um, overseas agents and for exactly the same reason that you do mm. um, because they're so much more able to get into those markets, mm. whereas I, I know from um, just speaking to my own agent that, they're predominantly going to sell you into Australia first and then maybe, you know, on, on sell. Mm. Um, but they may not necessarily um, even have that pathway to mm. on sell in the particular agency. So, yeah. Yep. I was really impressed too with the, uh, when I investigated the American system, it's, um, it's really transparent and yes. uh, yep. open. You know, there's <clears throat> things called query trackers and, all, yep. all the stats and information is published in um, publishers, you know, weekly and all those things. So you can see what agents are making deals, how long they take to get back to you, what they're into. Yeah. It's really competitive and transparent. And I, I really like that because, you know, in Australia, you can send stuff to people and just never hear anything from anyone. Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. No feedback at all. So I, I really liked watching that you could I could see what agents, how long they took to reply, whether they replied with a form letter or whether yeah. they replied with a personal letter. All that information was there <clears throat> uh, for you to find, which I thought was great. Yeah, it's definitely a new a new era. Mm. Now, do you personally read widely, widely in the genre and age that you write for? Um, I, I definitely read middle grade because I enjoy reading middle grade. Whether I read widely, um, I think might be overstating it. I read a, <laughs> I read a selection of um, adult books and children's books. Yep. Um, and I think a good middle grade book is something that an adult can enjoy immensely. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> but, um, but I think a lot of books written for children uh, you would struggle to read as an adult, um, which uh, I don't read those. <laughs> yes, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, so do, I do read middle grade. Yeah, I love reading middle grade. Yeah, I guess some, some authors actually try to actually steer clear completely so they don't want to have it influence them. But I personally yeah. always think, no, it's better to see what's – what else is happening? Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I think so. I think so. So, do you I think you theater in the house? So, I that is also you know I and I, I still sometimes read stuff with him and yeah, uh, of course. So that's that's also why I read middle grade because I've still got a middle grader. <laughs> yes, it's the best um, excuse to read children's yeah. books. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So in your middle grade reading, is there one book that you think every child should have the opportunity of reading, except, you know, the exception being your books, of course, <laughs> but something else? <laughs> um, I wouldn't say there is one book because I really think kids are like everybody else and not there's nothing that suits everyone. Yes. Everyone reads, everyone has different tastes. And I, I'm really firmly of the belief that 
we must reading should be for pleasure it should be really enjoyable and um sometimes i think a lot of things that are aimed at kids um are things that people think people people think kids should read rather than what kids want to read and what kids um would have a good time reading um because i could recommend a book and say well you know i recently read you know lenny's book of everything and it's so beautiful but do i think every kid should read it no not necessarily i don't think yeah of course um, but it's an exceptional book and it's so beautiful and I loved Wonder and, and I loved Timmy Failure and lots of different stuff. But um, I think, yes. yes, every reader is individual. Well, that is actually the answer that we pretty much expect <laughs> from most <laughs> most middle grade authors. So, yes. Now yeah. let's get back to Lisa Nichols' journey. Uh-huh. Is there a manuscript being scrutinised as we speak? Don't keep the mavens in suspense. <laughs> being scrutinised by me or a publisher or... <laughs> yeah, either or. <laughs> I've got the other manuscript um, that I also finished during that um, time I had to dedicate to writing. So since writing Vincent, I've fallen into a little bit of a creative hole. I'm like, oh, my God, should I you know re-edit that one or should I start something entirely new and I've sort of started something entirely new but I'm just feeling like oh I'm not sure yeah it's in some ways Vincent's a little bit of a tricky book to follow um, yes so I could see that <laughs> yeah, so I've got these two sort of projects I'm umming and about I'm thinking today I've made a decision I think I will um edit it's called the crumples of shambles town and um <laughs> That sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yes, there is, of course. I'm always working on something, yeah. Yep, yep, great. Well, what a joy to have you on Middle Grade Mavens, Lisa. And just to let our listeners know, where can we find you online if they're interested in checking out your books? Yes, well, I've got a website, you know, so it's lisanickel.com.au if anyone wants to check it out or penguin website or yes lovely facebook (laughs) fantastic with the um, promotion social media stuff (laughs) yes yeah it's not everyone's bag so we totally get that (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) exactly trying is just as good as not trying i guess sometimes (laughs) because social media is just a you know fickle 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 thing (laughs) yeah for sure Well, thank you for joining us at Middle Grade Mavens, Lisa, and we are absolutely in love with your book. So um, congratulations again. And, um, yeah, thanks for stopping by. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. The Mavens are picking up steam with wonderful new authors and illustrators to showcase every new episode. Plus, we've also added in some great book giveaways, so don't forget to drop by our social media channels to enter. Next up, Pamela reviews Ice Wolves by Amy Kaufman, and Julie reviews Help, I Smell a Monster by Justin Davies, illustrated by Kim Geyer. If you'd like to know more about The Mavens, log on to middlegradepodcast.com or to find Julie online, drop by julieangrassobooks.com. Or to find Pamela, stop by www.uecker.net. <laughs>